Welcome to the Online Frogcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts. But with very different sets of experiences. I've been in the anti-fraud space for over a decade, working with some of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud. And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online until I ended up on the Secret Service's most wanted list, spent time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against the people like I used to be. And we took a couple weeks off because one of us was traveling the world speaking at so many conferences. <laughs> I guess you're talking about me. <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> I have been really busy. It is so bad. I don't know. I've had 15, 20, something like that during the uh, the month of October. It's so bad right now that I was asked last week where I had been the week previously, and I could not tell anyone. I had to look at my calendar, and I had been in Greece. <laughs> that is not a bad thing. <laughs> you said it's gotten thing. so bad. I'm like, hmm. But you, you would think that I would have gotten to do something while I was there. Well, no. I, I, I arrived in Greece at 8 p.m. one night. The next morning, I speak for Visa, give the keynote speech there. And I'm at the resort the entire day. I don't get to see Athens whatsoever. The next morning I leave, my flight is at 7 a.m. So I don't get to see Athens in the daylight whatsoever. <laughs> hey, I have been there. <laughs> when I got to go to Rome, I saw the inside of a conference center for almost the entire time. I got like two hours to run to the Coliseum, take a couple pictures. And that was it. But my husband had a great time. <laughs> yeah, my wife tends to have fun when she goes with me. But me, right? I'm in the hotel and I'm speaking and talking to people. And that, that's what I do. That's my job. Yes. No, I get it. I know everyone's like, oh, it's so exotic to have no. to travel. Oh, no. <laughs> well, and you would have spent longer, but then you had so many conferences to speak at in the U.S. And oh, I know yeah, you were in you know, last, Chicago, last Texas, week, uh, right. San Francisco. So, I'm probably forgetting things. You were like crossing oh, the I'm, country I'm a couple times. Uh, so Tuesday last week, I spoke at uh, Northern Trust Bank in Chicago. The following day, I was out in uh, Schaumburg, Illinois, speaking to the AFCI conference, a uh, fraud conference. From there, I called a plane. Immediately following that speech, I called a plane to uh, San Francisco and keynoted the New Star Conference, customer appreciation conference out in San Francisco. So it's been extremely busy. And I'm going to tell you, I say it during my speeches and I'll say it here. The only reason that I'm able to do any of this is because I had people like you, you especially, <laughs> that took me under your wing and gave this guy a chance who had done nothing his entire life except break the law, a chance to do good. And well, I appreciate that. And I'm thankful for what, where I am now and, and the people like you who have helped me. Well, I may have given you your first chance and I'm grateful that I led with my gut and not... <laughs> the people in my life that thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> I'm grateful but, too. <laughs> but credit where credit's due, you've done the work. You hadn't hustled and, and just continue to do such a great job at speaking and communicating and educating people on how fraud works and how criminal organizations work and help them better understand that so that they can protect themselves and their businesses, right. then you wouldn't keep having all of these conferences wanting you back or new conferences wanting you to speak to them. So I am very grateful and proud that I was able to give you that chance, but you have opened every other door, you know. Well, um, I appreciate that. a lot of this stuff. I'm still learning, you know, that what I take for being normal 
<laughs> it yeah. is not. I've said this to you how many times? You have. You've Over said the last few years, like, wow, that's a big deal. You should write about that. No, it's <laughs> exactly. not. I'll, I'll, happens I'll all make, the time. I'll make a statement like, oh, this is what's happening. It's nothing out of the ordinary. And you're like, oh, no. <laughs> right. And, uh, so... I was at this AFCI conference and I'm speaking to law enforcement and they make this point that I hadn't really realized before. When you're looking at cyber criminals now, a guy that just starts into cybercrime, they tend to specialize in one specific type of fraud and they continue committing that. And they never really learn anything else except that type of fraud that they're committing. Right. Um, so they're only learning account takeover exactly. or they're only learning right. on one or two different kinds of companies, right? right? So they're only learning account takeover and online gaming exactly. or they're only learning phishing for retail companies or whatever it is, right? right. That, you know, that cybercrime is sophisticated enough. It's organized enough now that they can go in and do that. They can buy a tutorial. Mm -hmm. They can take a class that teaches them how to do that type of fraud. And they can just specialize in that area. When I started, we didn't have that type of foundation. We had mm -hmm. to learn everything. We had to learn how to do payment processing fraud and set up drops and credit card fraud. And I'm not bragging about that, but... The guys who began that kind of stuff like I did, I mean, we learned every single aspect of that fraud so that now when I'm doing good, when I'm actually consulting with a company or speaking to a group, I understand all the dynamics of cybercrime mm -hmm. as a whole compared to new guys now that are out. Really don't understand anything, anything except what they're specifically talking, you know, committed and the type of crime they're committing. Right. They can't talk about it from the 10,000 foot view or they couldn't answer a random question that wasn't about the one thing that they focused on. I mean, and let's be honest, <laughs> there are very, very few, if not none, people that know as much about cybercrime as you do who are on this legitimate side. Very few. I mean, if any, right? Yeah, most um, guys, you know, you uh, and I know of a few, but few people that are former right. criminals, but they might be former shoplifters or exactly. former check fraud or cybercrime because it is so lucrative. And I was, and I was asked. Uh, it's a hard jump. You know was, that I was, jump. I mean, I it was a couple asked, of years. <laughs> I was asked at Newstar. A woman asked me, you know, about me changing, about me coming over to the good side. And if I thought these other guys that uh, were about to get out of prison and, you know, the current mm -hmm. cyber criminals, if, what the chances of them were of converting over to being legal, legitimate people. And my answer was, is very, very few. Very few mm -hmm. will ever do that because if you do go to prison you're released with the same tools you go in with. There's no real rehabilitation in the United States as far as converting a criminal into a legal citizen. You go in, you serve your time, you try not to get beaten, and mm. you get out and you're released with the exact same skill set that you went in with. You're released in the same environment to the same people. So it's much like being an addict. If you're going to break the cycle of addiction, it's people, places, and things. You have to first get away from those things. But more than that... For a criminal to change his way of doing things, there has to be something that makes him change. It's mm. even if you're committing crime, a criminal will continue to commit the same type of crime the exact same way until something makes him change his method of operation. New security feature comes in or something like that. It's the same way when you go legitimate. The only way you're going to go legitimate is if something makes you go legitimate. If there's a, a significant enough change in your life that it makes you do that. And with mm. me, it was my sister. It was my wife, Michelle. It was you. It was Keith Malarski. All these people give me a chance and an opportunity to do that change, to embrace that. And I'm in a position now, there is no way, <laughs> and I can say that with confidence now. I, I used to not be able to do that. Mm. I can say, I'm not going back to crime. I know that, hmm. but uh, there are so and many. And that's a big step. Now. I mean, some people don't know that you couldn't even say that the first six months that we knew each other. And nope. that was okay. <laughs> um, I mean, that was okay for where you were because you didn't have, you know, stable income. It was just right. kind of this hope that it would happen. And you were very, very honest, which I really appreciated. And you said, you know, I don't want to go back to that, but I can't say with exact certainty that I won't. And I remember telling you, well, then do it for me.
me because it's my <laughs> career on the line. Don't and, make know, me it's, look it's, bad. But I was joking. But You say that, but there's a lot of truth behind that too. I mean, there are so many people that have went out on the line and have given me the opportunity that I can't let those people down. I can't let my family down. I can't, uh, people that are counting on me, even, even the bad guys <laughs> that, that know that Brett Johnson was able to turn things around. Mm. You know, I can't let them down by doing this kind of stuff. I can't let myself down. Now I'm in a position where it's, it's when I was released from prison, the advice that they gave was find something that you care about. Find hmm. a job, find something that you care about. That lowers the chance of recidivism. And back then, I didn't really understand what that meant, but I understand exactly what that means now. You know, I've hmm. got things that I truly care about, people that truly care about me, and that's just not going to happen anymore. I mean, I'm, right? Well, and I, I did know that the person that you are, you're such a people pleaser that oh yeah, you you know, <laughs> if it was just you, you wouldn't think about you'd be like, eh, you know, this is the easy exploit, I can do it. But if you knew that you'd be letting other people down, I knew that that would impact it a little. Bit. Oh, yeah. So maybe I was being a little tricky there, but <laughs> a little bit of a manipulator. <laughs> but well, right, right. I've learned a few things from you. I'm kidding. <laughs> but no, I mean, obviously, like I was more or less joking, but I do think it. I say that just to bring some legitimacy to what you're saying. Like it's been a journey for you to say that. You haven't just been quick to say I'm never doing it again. You oh, have been very real about yourself, you know, right? Yeah, I was a thief, but I, I tried to <laughs> I tried to not be a thief that would lie on purpose unless I was just stealing money. <laughs> right. Right. But I mean, it just yeah, all of this to say, I mean, it really I'm so proud of you for coming so far and for being busy. Um, unfortunately, it's been a little bit at the expense of our podcast, but not too much. I mean, I think everyone understands, you know, that and I'm excited for you. You've got a lot of exciting things coming up and um I think that this is just the first that everyone's here. I've been saying this for a year and a half, but your star is rising and I've been right so far. So I'm uh, yeah, and I, I, proud to be part of the story. <laughs> I know why I'm here and I'm grateful to people like you and, and everyone else who has helped me and not just helped me, but that take the time out of their schedules to, to come and listen to me or, or tune into the podcast or read the blogs that I write, things like that. I really appreciate that. It's, it's not something that I take for granted whatsoever. Well, I realized you were starting to be a big deal about a month ago when I started to see a couple people post selfies of them with you. at <laughs> Like so excited that they got a yeah, I'm not used to that. <laughs> uh, that actually happened to me once at a conference last month, just once, not as many times as it happens to you. And it was weird for me too. <laughs> I'm like, I don't do this to be famous. I do this to help people. But no, I mean, it, it's great. I think it's such a new industry, especially on the merchant side, that there's very few people who have been able to provide high level education. And I'd like to think that I'm in that boat. And I know you are as well. And, you know, that's why we started the podcast, right? Because not everybody can come to conference. Conferences. And right. you and I both talk about very different things at conferences, right? I mean, you're <laughs> because we have very different backgrounds, <laughs> but we can't fit everything into an hour either. So right. yeah, so that's what we did. So I guess we should probably dive into the Let's topic go. of the day. <laughs> but I think it's good to catch up and let everyone know what you're up to. And I don't live as exciting of a life. So <laughs> I beg to differ. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have definitely my phone has been like ringing off the hook the last See? couple weeks. Very <laughs> Various companies, some very big ones who have issues that they want help with or need a connection to somebody or, you know, want a recommendation for what tool will help them or whatever. I mean, I'm very happy about that. And I'm also grateful for people, you know, who trust me to tell me what's going on in their business. And when they don't know the answer to something, they think of me to pick up the phone. Right. And sometimes that leads to official consulting contracts and sometimes it doesn't. And I'm okay with that too, because ultimately at the end of the day, I just want to help people. But most 
most of that happens in my yoga pants in my living room or in my <laughs> office. So <laughs> not as glamorous as first class flight to Greece. <laughs> well, I mean, I didn't pay for that. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> but still, <laughs> I still fly coach when I speak. So, <laughs> but I am not a professional public speaker. That's not my livelihood. So <laughs> there's a difference there. I'm also not as big of a deal as the Brett Johnson. And I am very okay with that. Oh, you're, you're a pretty big deal. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Different ways. Okay, so for realsies this time, we'll get into the topic. We we really wanted to talk about something that we've mentioned on past episodes. We felt it was really important to do a deep dive on the topic because currently fishing, P-H-I-S-H-I-N-G, is the number one way that fraudsters are accessing information, either through getting consumers to provide their login information or their personal information, or by gaining access to companies through malware installations, etc. So... Brett, because you, as is the way we almost always start topics, because like you just said, you did a lot of this stuff. You did a little bit of everything. You didn't just specialize in one area. Now there are people that just specialize in fishing. And once they get that information, they sell it because there's an actual economy. You did it all. And you really were one of the first people to utilize fishing as a method of attack. And I know you did it a lot. So I think it's only appropriate that you explain what this is and how it works. Explain what it is. So phishing (laughs) is a form of social engineering. And let's reference back to what social engineering is. Social engineering is a social engineer is someone who understands human psychology and knows what it takes to manipulate a person into giving access or information up that that person usually wouldn't give up. All right. So a phishing, phishing is an email that is sent that is designed to make the receiver of the email give up information, access, data, whatever that click on a link, what have you, that person usually wouldn't do. The email may look like it comes from your bank account. The email may look like it comes from your streaming service, Hulu, Netflix, Amazon, something like that. It's designed to make you do something, to give up some sort of information, maybe a login credential, maybe personal information like your social, or maybe your address or your credit card number or anything else like that. So that's what it is on the consumer side. On business side, it's much the same thing. Uh, the big thing for phishing on business side is what's called business email compromise now. It's designed, the email is sent out and it's designed to make the receiver do something, send a wire transfer or give information or again, login credentials or something like that. Phishing accounts for 92%. So every single breach, 92% of every single breach begins with a phishing attack. Now, why? I like to say that there's no patch for human stupidity. <laughs> now, that's 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 kind of a joke. <laughs> that's right? true in like all of life, right? Not sure. just... <laughs> but here's the problem. Just is, this. Is a lot of people say, well, it takes a stupid person to fall for a phishing email. And that's not true. All right, because here's the other really important statistic. How successful are phishing attacks? If you look at spear phishing, which the difference between phishing and spear phishing, phishing is an email sent out to mass numbers. They don't really care. The person sending out those emails doesn't really care who receives them. He's just sending out four or five million of these things and seeing who will respond. A spear phishing attack is designed to target one specific individual or company. And it's what the, what the attacker will do. They will research that individual. They'll research that company, find out all the information they can. And then they will design an email to target that specific person or company. All right, that's what's called a spear phishing attack. If we're talking about the success of spear phishing, spear phishing is 86% successful. 
86%. That means that wow. if, if someone targets you, the chances of you being a victim is extremely good. Hmm. So it's, And it's, you would say that, you know, targeting, especially for spearfishing is, you know, like you said, mostly for businesses. So sure. if you work for a company and honestly, it doesn't have to be an Apple or a Google or an Amazon, honestly. And I know you know this more than I do. Like it's local businesses. It's small businesses because they anticipate that maybe they haven't had corporate training on this topic. Absolutely. It's one of those things. So a phishing email is sent out and it's designed to have you give up information or it's designed to have you click on a link or file that's on the email, something like that. Now that phishing email, it can install malware on your system. It can install ransomware on your system. I was talking to a company two weeks ago that they were attacked with ransomware. It was a medical company in the North. They had been hit with ransomware, and guess what? They weren't able to decode anything. The ransomware demand was $375,000. Wow. They asked if I could do anything. My response was, do you have backups? Their response was, yes, we backed up everything, and that's encrypted too. <laughs> I remember that because I yes. think that was from somebody that actually reached out to me it to was. ask for introduction to you. <laughs> right. The encryption on that particular ransomware was good enough that you're not able to crack it. So you either pay the ransom or you don't. So if your business and the information is relying on the data that's on the computer, you pay the ransom. I don't know what happened with that company. I've not touched base with them again after that point, but that's the power of phishing. What happens is an attacker doesn't really, most of them don't attack, don't hack computers. They hack the human behind that. Why would an attacker spend potentially years trying to force his way through a, an industrial firewall when he can simply send a phishing email behind that to the person behind the firewall, compromise that person, and gain the same level of access. Mm. That's what type of attack is all about. So what are some examples of both of those? Like phishing for consumers and spear phishing for businesses. Like what would be, obviously, <laughs> they run the gamut, but what would be some examples of things that would get pretty smart person to not fall for it, but, well, fall for it, but to engage and provide information or access? Let's talk about consumers. I was working with a, a Fortune 500 company. While I was working there, they had phishing simulation training, and the company sent out a simulated phishing email that said to all the employees, and it said, we've added two more days of calendar vacation. And it didn't mention what those two days were. It just had a PDF file at the bottom that said calendar. And the question was, is how many people would click on it? The answer was, everyone clicked on it. That is a phishing email. It's designed to get someone to click on a file. There's another phishing email that's sent out, say, uh, when I was doing it so much, we sent out emails that looked like it came from your bank. And it said there was a security problem. We needed you to update your information. Now, back then, phishing was brand new. We could ask tons upon tons of questions, and that's exactly what we did. We had people fill out their complete identity profile just on that one phishing email. So it was designed to get someone to enter personal information in. There are phishing emails that are sent out to get people's credentials. And here's the way that works. So now people's awareness level of phishing emails is good enough that most people, if they receive an email that looks like it comes from their bank, they don't fall for that. They look at that Bank of America email and they say, oh, that's fake. That's a phishing email. I'm not going to fall for that. But do they have that same level of awareness that they may have toward their streaming service? Say it's Hulu or Netflix or something like that. Say they get a phishing email that looks like that's coming from what looks like Netflix saying, well, we need you to update your login credentials or your password. Are you going to have the same level of awareness toward your streaming service that you're going to have toward your financial institution? And the answer is no, you're not. But the problem is, is that over 80% of everyone uses the exact same passwords and logins across multiple websites. 
Attackers know that. These people sending out phishing emails know that. So they send out that email that, that looks like it comes from Hulu or Amazon or Netflix. They send that out. They get you to update your or put in your login credentials, your password, and your, and your login. They get that. Then it's an automated program from that point. Little Billy goes to sleep at one night. He's got the sniffer on. He's sniffer. It actually plugs in the login credentials on multiple websites as he sleeps. Wakes up the next morning, see what has worked. And that way he's got access to your bank account all of a sudden. That tends to be the way that it works on the consumer side. On the business side, we have this thing today that's called business email compromise, BEC. $12 billion worth of losses is what it currently is. It's $7 wow. million dollars worth of losses a day. So $7 million Whoa. worth of losses every single wow. day. All right. Now, how does that work? Well, it's... <laughs> It kind of illustrates this point of there is no patch for human stupidity. It illustrates that as being incorrect because the way business email compromise works is typically, and the most popular way to do that is the attacker will register a Unicode domain. Now, what do I mean by that? I own the, the domain anglerfish.com, A-N-G-L-E-R-P-H-I-S-H.com. If I wanted to register a domain to send out phishing emails that looked like they came from anglerfish, what I could do is I could register a domain using a Unicode letter. So so instead of that I having a dot above it, the I would not have a dot above it because it would not be an English alphabet I. But it still comes with the same security certificates, still comes with things like that. So I could register that domain, start sending out phishing emails, looks like it comes from there. The way business email compromise works is an attacker usually goes to LinkedIn because it's got a lot of business information there, goes there, finds a target. He then emails or spearfishes the CEO of the company. And the only thing he's going to do is he wants access to the CEO's email account. He's not going to do anything except just read the emails in the email account. He finds a target within those emails, someone who has a good relationship with payroll or something like that. He starts studying their, that relationship and the way the language is used within the emails. The idea being he's going to come as close as possible to mimicking that. Then what he does is he registers that domain in the name of whatever the email group is that's emailing back and forth to the CEO. He registers the domain with that with using a Unicode character. He then goes back into the CEO's email, removes the real contact, and updates that contact information with his fake domain. That way he can email the CEO and it looks like it comes from the real person. At the same time, he blocks the real person from the, using that email account. So anytime that real person tries to email, it goes straight to trash or spam or something like that. From there, he sends out an email requesting anything from W-2s to wire transfers, whatever he wants to do. That's one of these phishing emails. So that's uh, kind of new to me as far as gaining access to the CEO's email and the blocking of right. the other person's email and all that. Like that's even more sophisticated than, you know, what I know about. How do they get access to the CEO's email in the first place? So LinkedIn of all places. A lot of uh -huh. LinkedIn places have the email listed. You go to the website, it may have the CEO's email address done like that. If you can't find it like that, you can always pick up the phone, spoof a number, call into customer service. Again, it's a social engineering stuff. Mm -hmm. Call into customer service and you start trying to find out what the CEO's email is. If right. You know so, you know, other... if you know what his email address is, that's one thing. But how do you get access to his mail, like his inbox and it, to study the emails and to, you know, block the real person and put someone else in? So is that who, through spear phishing as well? It is through, it is okay. through spear phishing. So what Got you it. do is you would uh, you'd research the CEO on LinkedIn. You'd find his Facebook page. You'll go over to one of these background check sites. You'll pull his background check. Find out all of his associates, his family members, everything else. Find out as much as you possibly can about the guy. And then you fashion an email specifically for the purpose of spear phishing. And it's mm -hmm. going to have a file in there or something like that will... Like the link, and then it'll like be right. right malware. A link okay. to a, a fake Google Drive page, something like that. Something that causes him to input credentials in that gets a password right. and, and log into the email account. 
Right. Well, I mean, there's, you know, you mentioned the vacation days. I've definitely heard from FBI agents that they've seen a lot saying like, especially to men, especially this year or two years, especially in the U.S., there's been an HR complaint made about you. And that's right. all it says, right? But click here for more information. You're um, going to click. Well, right, <laughs> right. You're going to click, <laughs> and Am then I in now trouble? you've got. What are they saying? Right, right. Oh my gosh, what I do? And now you're like thinking about all your interactions in the break room, and oh my gosh, and so you click on the link to see what they're saying, and maybe the link doesn't work, or maybe it goes to something. But the thing is about spear phishing is they don't want the victim to know that they've been a victim right away, right? So they're going to try to make the link look somewhat legitimate because otherwise Absolutely. you'll contact your. IT security. So something to that effect. And then that link is malware to put on the computer so that they can then key log or see what the passwords are and all that other stuff. Um, as you know, my husband works for a Fortune 500 company in their IT department. And this is true for any company, you know, honestly. So even if you try to figure out who it is, like it applies to everyone, <laughs> not just to that company. I've heard this many times before, but they've had many instances where they'll send out an email and say like, hey, we believe that there may be an email coming out. And this is actually several years ago. I know that they now use a, a service and it's different, but a few, you know, several years ago, probably five, six years ago now, they would, this department in IT was kind of responsible for it. So they'd send out an email saying, hey, don't click on anything that isn't internal. This is what this looks like. Like, don't click on any links, right. all these things. And they would still have people click the links. And Absolutely. would you be willing to bet? I bet you, especially by me posing this question, you can figure out the answer. But <laughs> if it was lower level employees or higher level employees that ignored those or didn't pay attention or read it, they'd usually they could tell that they read the email that said don't click the link, but they still click the link. Would it be lower uh, level I or higher say, level? I would say more higher level. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like VPs and above. <laughs> because, I mean, well, they're they so don't, busy. I get they're, it. They're busy. They're consumed with other things they see. And <laughs> it's not just Unicode domains. You can spoof a company's domain as well and send that phishing right. email that looks legitimate. Right. Um, and the emails that uh, the CEO or management's used to answering countless emails every single day, fake email is within a group of hundreds of real emails. Yep. The chances of them clicking on it, 100%. Oh, yeah. I used to get like three, 400 emails a day. I mean, there's right. just no way, right? You're just kind of in mode, in auto mode mode of like, yeah. do I have to respond? No. Okay, good. Like, how do I manage this? Because <laughs> that's also yeah, on top see, of your regular job. That's not stupidity. That's the attacker understanding that and knowing the chances of them going ahead and clicking within right. about that email being lost within all the other emails that are legitimate. It's going to pass through just fine. Right, right. And in addition to, we talked a little bit about consumer, but it's not just emails, it's phone as well. And with email, they're, you know, asking for your login information or for you to um, reconfirm something. A lot of times I see emails saying your PayPal was compromised. You need to log in to reactivate it or right. such and such was compromised because they are preying on that person's fear. But it's kind of ironic because it's not compromised. But if you press that link, it is. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, how many times a day do you get phone calls from your credit card company? I'm yeah. using quotation marks. <laughs> <laughs> we, can, because, we can lower your interest rate. I was getting those calls and didn't even have a credit card. <laughs> <laughs> well, not just that, but a lot of times it's, you know, this is your credit card company. Please provide your credit card number and expiration date to verify it's you. Well, hmm, if they really were your credit card company, wouldn't they say it was Capital One or Chase or Wells Fargo? That's, That's the first clue. <laughs> first clue. You know, or you have 
people calling and asking for things or whatever. I mean, we've talked about this before, but I'm very grateful that my Google phone turns red every time there's a spam. I'm so jealous of you on that. A spam call. It's happened like three times today. But our good friend who actually talks a lot about business email compromise, who is a former cybersecurity um, expert for the FBI, he posted on LinkedIn the other day about an app that apparently helps with those spoofing calls for consumers. And I haven't used it, so I can't vouch for it. And I also know it's not a free app. So just be aware of that. But I'm trying to look that up right now. Well, unfortunately, he's very active on LinkedIn. So it's like hard to figure out where he is extremely active. <laughs> trying to and, find and it. Did you see? I think it's called like Robo Killer. Something like that. And I, honestly, I don't know how the man does it. So he runs a division over at Braintrace. He's traveling around doing all these speaking engagements, teaching people about business email compromise. He's all over LinkedIn all the time. He must have some magic clock that gives him more hours in the day than what I have. <laughs> hey, I don't know. You do a lot as well. I just, yeah, no, I agree with that. There are some people in my life that I'm like, how do you have so much energy? Yeah, I don't know. Um, I really don't. He must not sleep. Right? I, I was know. at a conference with him and I think it was New York. It was New York or San Francisco. I did a stage presentation with him. And I know for a fact that the man didn't go to sleep until like four o'clock in the morning. He's back up at seven o'clock. And I'm like, how do you do this stuff, man? Good Lord. Yeah, that's crazy. I'm having a hard time looking this up because, yeah, <laughs> because if you look at his activity, <laughs> there's like so much of it. But I believe it was called Robo Killer. Um, I, I can put it in the show name. notes. Yeah, I mean, we can say his name, right? I don't know. I just choose not to just because of his past. Here it is. You I don't, don't want anyone to get because of what he used to do. I don't want, you know for FBI and stuff. I try to just protect people, but he knows who he is. Um, <laughs> yes, RoboKiller is the app. And apparently, not only blocks robocalls and spam calls, but it redirects the call to a service where it actually answers the phone and they play a funny pre-recorded script to try to waste the spammer's time. But then it saves the interaction that you can play over and over again just to like satisfy your desires for revenge. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it does look like it's a $3 app. It's not something that we know about personally, so we can't totally endorse it. But yeah, that's something that you can do for phone calls. But I mean, I've certainly gotten some. And like I said on a previous episode, I almost fell for one. And if I almost fell for one, like, yeah. <laughs> not to say that I know everything, but I am extremely cautious on any kind of information. But my card had just been compromised. And they were saying that, you know, they were trying to let me know about more compromise or something, but they wanted my bank account number. And I was like, you called me. So you know who I am. <laughs> Why am I giving you my bank account number? Exactly. I definitely shared more details about it on a previous episode. So that's why I'm not going into the details now. But yeah, no, I mean, it just, it happens all the time. And I think our biggest point for this is it's so important to be aware that this happens all the time online and in person or not in person, but online and over the phone. I mean, sometimes it does happen in person. Sometimes somebody comes door to door and asks you to purchase a magazine subscription. They want you to write down your credit card number or whatever. But for the most part, that doesn't happen as much as it happens over phone and email. And they keep doing it because it works. 86% success rate is insane. And it used to be easy to identify phishing emails especially like I mean anyone who had emailed 10 years ago knows about like Nigerian print scams right those were the beginning of phishing but now they completely spoof a company a legitimate company that you probably have a relationship with and ask for you to log in I mean it's so much more sophisticated because they're able to do HTML emails and 
by their own domains. And I've worked with several domain companies and there's so much fraud there because there are thousands or hundreds, if not hundreds of thousands of, you know, phishing websites created every day. So I found some statistics about phishing that I think is, you know, important to add to this because sometimes the goal is for information or access to other sites to commit fraud. Sometimes the goal is to add malware to the user's computer, all these other things. So a report in 2017 found that the average cost of a phishing scam for a mid-sized company is $1.6 million. So yeah, so it's brought 7 million a day in total. But if you're a mid-sized company, that's crippling. Whether it's crypto, uh, whether it's, um, oh my gosh, ransomware, like you talked about, whether it's asking for wire transfers, you know, posing as a legitimate company or posing as the CEO and requesting a wire transfer to, you know, a mid-level accounting representative that wants to do anything their CEO says. This happens all the time. So another recent study showed that victims were more likely to enter their username and password to open an email attachment. In this case, an Adobe PDF file, then to click on a URL in the email and blindly log in. So what that means is, talked a lot about clicking on a link, but now you're more likely to just enter your username and password to open an email attachment. Right. So now that you don't need to click on a link. Now that's you know not to put malware on a computer, but that would give you access. That would give you their username and password. And as we talked about on a previous episode, once they have your username and password for one account, it's very likely that you're using it for multiple accounts. And there are, is a lot of software out there, there for them to be able to check that all the time. More statistics, a phishing survey from Wombat found that 76% of businesses reported being victims of a phishing attack. 76% of all businesses. That Which is- would mean the other 24% just don't know it yet. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a very good point. Yeah. So, I mean, whether you represent a business, whether you're an employee, like this stuff's important. Make sure that your companies are aware of this, especially those companies that maybe don't have strong internet security internally. Small businesses especially are just so such big targets for all this. 95% of all attacks on enterprise networks, such as a data breach, are the result of a phishing scam. So similar to what you said earlier, And then this is the part that just, you know, I thought about just a second ago when I was talking about creating domains where nearly 1.5 million phishing sites are created every single month. That's insane. Right. Yeah. And (laughs) those sites are specifically to try to gather data, um, gather information or just to have email addresses. So maybe it's not a full on website. Maybe it's just a domain used for email addresses. Whatever it is. Now, I believe that that's worldwide, but still, that's crazy. And so there's no reason why people shouldn't be aware of this and be conscious of it. I mean, the biggest form of prevention with phishing is just to be more vigilant. Like, to put it simply, don't fall for it. They're getting a lot more sophisticated over the years, and it's harder to spot. My whole thing that I say all the time to people, whether it's about phishing or other forms of credit card fraud is, you know, most important, you need to be protective of your personal information um, and of your business's information. You wouldn't let a stranger borrow your driver's license or look at your checkbook. So don't give a stranger information that can be used to steal your identity or take over your accounts online. It's kind of like locking your doors at night. You want to keep your personal items and your family and your information safe. So you should be just as vigilant and informed and protective of your information in online environments. A few other things you can do as well. So as Carice said, uh, and I say basically the same thing. I say, don't respond to any unsolicited requests for personal information. So it's by mail, by phone, by email, whatever. If you get a request for personal information, for login credentials, anything else, don't respond to it. 
If it's in an email, simply close out that email. And if it looks like it's come from your bank or your streaming service or your dating site or whatever, just click on it, input that dating site in your address bar in your browser and go to it directly and see if it was a legitimate request for that information. If you're a business, there's a thing called DMARC. It's Domain Message Authentication Reporting and Conformance. That's what it stands for. What it does is it stops 80% of all phishing emails, 80%. An attacker cannot spoof a company's domain if DMARC is implemented. It's already throughout the UK. It's in the EU as well. It's coming to the United States. If you own a business, you will be implementing it at some point. If you've not done it yet, if you've not heard about it, I urge you to go ahead and take the initiative. Be proactive instead of reactive. Go ahead and implement DMARC now. It's a little complicated to set up, but once it's done, again, it stops 80% of all phishing attacks. The other thing is that understand that a phishing email, when it's sent, there's something in there that the attacker wants. He wants you to give up personal information. He wants you to click on a file, to give up uh, your password and login credentials, something like that. So it's important to always have that in the back of your head so that when you open an email, if there's something there of that nature, there's a file that you're supposed to click on. There's a request to update your security information or up credit card data or personal information or something like that. If that is the point of the email, or if it's not even the point of the email, but it looks like it leads into that, then you need to be aware. Your level of awareness needs to be higher because at the end of the day, the most effective thing is, as Karee said, just raising awareness, being vigilant about these things. That right there works better than most security that's out there. Just being aware of these things and being vigilant and understanding that it's not if it could happen to you, it's when it's going to happen to you. So the users out there, have you been hit with a phishing email? If you say no, <laughs> the only reason you're saying no is because you don't know you've been hit by that phishing email and you're already a victim. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> raising awareness, implementing DMARC, understanding the, the method of how attackers work. I had, uh, again, I was speaking last week in a conference. It turns out that phishing simulation training. So if you sign up, if you're a company and you hire a service that sends simulated phishing emails to the employees, it turns out that studies have now shown that that is pretty much useless that still 86% of spear phishing attacks are successful, even within companies that have simulated phishing and training. Now, that being said, a woman came to me and she asked me, well, what are we supposed to do? <laughs> and my response was, hire the phishing simulation company. That was my response because I believe, even though the studies show that and, you know, they've done the surveys and everything else, even though it shows that it's not successful, my belief is that it's better than nothing and I put a caveat to that. Make sure that you hire a company that's using phishing attacks, that's sending out those simulated phishing emails that are in the same vein that a criminal would do it, the same way a criminal would launch those types of attacks. If you're signing on to a company that's informing all the employees, well, we're sending out a simulated phishing email uh, today at 9 a.m. That's a problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> and there are companies who do that. There are mm -hmm. companies who send out, their, it's like a schedule, they send out the emails and everyone gets them at one time and everything else like that. I mean, that's not really the way a cyber criminal operates. So make sure you sign well, up. Well, yeah, because, like that. yeah, I mean, a true phishing scheme isn't going to give you a heads up. No. <laughs> You're not going to have a heads up, so why would you want to simulate that? <laughs> right, and it's not going to, today uh, we talk about, it, it used to be in the past, and sure, today a lot of phishing emails have the syntax is wrong, the language is, is incorrect, it's got broken English or what have you. That's still one of these indicators, but, but more experienced fishers have gotten much better at studying the correct language. They have the language down correct. 
they have it down correct. We look at the right. address bar and see if it right their spelling is correct and their and right. the grammar is correct. Whereas ten years ago with the Nigerian phishing scams, exactly. for example, you could they were easy to spot. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, those types of attacks are still out there, but there's another attacker now that it doesn't work to go over the address bar because it's a Unicode domain that's registered and it looks like the real thing. It comes with a security certificate and everything. So understand that those attackers are out there as well. It comes down to being aware of the types of attacks that are out there and having that in the back of your mind. You don't have to always worry about it. But just having it in the back of your mind will raise awareness enough that you're not going to fall for the majority of these phishing attacks. Well, and I think whether you're a consumer, everyone's a consumer and almost everyone's an employee unless right. you're retired or stay at home parent. So I think it's important too to know what kind of information they're trying to get, you know, to know what information to protect. A lot of people, like you said, you know, if they receive an email from Hulu or Spotify or something, they're going to think that providing their login information is no big deal. Not thinking that, oh, wait, I use this same username and password for my bank account <laughs> or my credit card or whatever. So knowing, you know, not to give your username and password or your credit card information, your debit card information, your bank account information, your your address, your phone number, any personal identified information, don't give it to anyone when they contact you, whether it's through email or phone, because you have no way to verify who they are if they really are who they say they are. One example of phishing that I just thought of as you were talking, it's more for the consumer side, but I had a family member who contacted me a couple of years ago because their email was compromised and they're not 100% sure how or why. But what was done was their contact list was copied and another email address for them was set up very right. similar to the common to the email address they had, but not 100%, but all that matters to people is the name, right? So they set up an email a name in my family member's name, spammed all their contacts and said, hey, I started something new or I can't remember what it was, but click on this link. I want to show you this link. And, you know, it's the people that trust you. And so they all fell for it or a lot of people fell for it. And now it's a cycle, right? Because now their email addresses are compromised. And so now their contacts are being contacted. And that happens a lot on Facebook and other social media as well. They're relying on that trust. And so you may not think that your email is a big deal, but it is. Also, if they gain access to your email, they now know where you shop. So they know where you have accounts and where you have your card stored on file. So they can now commit that kind of fraud. And I just kind of wanted to give some more examples about how it's slippery slope. They don't just get access to your username and password and then move on. They either sell that or they right. go to town and they don't just try it at one website. They try it everywhere. When somebody calls you, and I kind of re referenced this before, but when they ask you for personal identifying information, I always have a policy, whether it's somebody who says they're calling from a credit card company that's very obvious or somebody who says, like, you know, you're in collections and you owe a lot of money. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And no, I don't. <laughs> but that would usually make somebody go, oh, my gosh, here's my credit card. Like, yeah. Or if it's a campaign, a political campaign or a charity that you believe in or that you want to support. Dr. Seuss used to always say that, said in one of his books, that the people who mind don't matter and the people who matter don't mind. In this case, if they're legit, they'll be fine with that. If you say, you know what, I have a personal policy. I don't provide this kind of information over the phone, but let me call you back. Or can you mail me some information about your charity? I've done that several times. And yeah, they're a little bummed because they probably get a bonus when somebody purchases something over the phone or provides a donation or whatever. But they also understand. Likewise, 
if I say that and they're a scammer, that's when they start to get really like, no, 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 you have to do it right now. This is a one time only deal. This is a, you know, whatever it is they're trying to put. I was told that my bank's fraud department didn't accept outbound phone calls or inbound phone calls to them, uh, which I knew was not true. Right. But, you know, whatever they need to say to get you to give them the information they want, they will. So, you know, knowing that, but having that policy, I think is really important for emails. Obviously, be very cautious about clicking links in emails, but also in providing your username and password in that email. I've seen some scamming, some phishing emails where they ask you for you to log in to your account right through the email. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> especially with these domains that Brett's talking about where they can, is it unified? Is that what it's called? This Unicode. 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 Okay. So these Unicode domains where they look exactly the same, you can't be sure. Now, there are a lot of domains that don't, right? So it might be PayPal spelled with a one instead of an L. Right. Or they have like a dash somewhere that doesn't make sense. But if a company's asking you to log into your account or provide new or change your login information because it was compromised or whatever, a lot of times if you go out to their website or almost all the time, you can change that on their website and then you know you're directly doing it with them. It used to be that companies wanted you to contact them when there were phishing emails. I think they still do, but there are so many out there, especially for big companies that they can't always act on all of them, but it can be a good thing to let them know. Just know that the customer service agent may or may not be grateful to you for that. Um, <laughs> I speak from experience. But know that you did what you could to bring their attention to it. But just if somebody asks you to reset your account or log in, go to the website. Even if you look at the from address and the domain looks exactly right. And if in case somebody knows what we're talking about when we say the domain, it's the word after the at sign in an email. So, you know, at gmail.com, the domain would be gmail. At chargelytics.com consulting.com the domain is my consultancy the same kind of thing with anglerfish so that's important but really just like i said protect your info know what's going to be stolen or what's being wanted and protect that because that's all you have you know once it's out it's out and you are really a target there's other things like facebook quizzes and apps that give access to your account like surveys and your contacts that's another way to open yourself up to having your info stolen. <laughs> Side note, Facebook had a pretty big, um, not it wasn't a breach, but it was like a compromise of information with several million. I know we posted about it on our own Facebook page for the podcast. And the people that were impacted were notified. And just by my own observation, and these are just the people in my life, the people that were notified are the people that are constantly sharing things from random sites or random Facebook pages. Yep. They're the ones that are taking quizzes about what kind of Game of Thrones character you are and all of those things, the apps and the quizzes, you're giving access to an unknown entity and you're trusting that they're legitimate because they're on Facebook, you know, to have some of your profile information that you wouldn't have public otherwise. So just be aware of that. That other forms of phishing because you see people, especially a few years ago, you'd see people like posting one day sale for Nikes, click here. Well, that was usually a phishing scam as well. So yeah, I mean, I think we've given a lot of information. Is there anything else that you would add, Brett, for you know, your consumer or business? I think we've got it all. I mean, uh, we explained what it was, said what people can do about it. I understand that uh, even if you're the most vigilant person on the planet, you can still be compromised. 
Right. So it's important to take all the steps that you can because at the end of the day, an attacker is not really going to take the time and energy to target you specifically unless there's a reason for him to do that. Hmm. All right. Most of the time it's a numbers game unless you're that person that has 6,000 bitcoins out there and you're talking about it on Facebook every single day. Oh, gosh. Then you're a target. <laughs> <laughs> that is another point, though. Like things that you share on social media can make you a target for Absolutely. sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just be aware of these things. Right. Yeah. Don't brag that you have like a ton of money or, or whatever. I mean, I've seen some crazy stuff. <laughs> right. So are we ready to wrap it up then? I think so. Yeah. All right. Well, that's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us. We hope you learned a lot. We've got so many of these topics to cover to help you protect yourself and your company from fraud. So subscribe to the online broadcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please tell your friends, rate and review where you can to help others learn about these topics as more and more. And we've heard from a lot of you, but we love to hear what you like about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss next. You can find the online broadcast on Facebook or find us individually on LinkedIn or email us at info at online broadcast.com. Until next time, stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. 